0: chapter 7 part 2 of the betrothed this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the betrothed by alessandro manzoni chapter 7 part 2 next morning don rodrigo was himself again the slight compunction that a day will come had awakened in his mind had vanished with the dreams of the night and nothing remained but a feeling of deep indignation rendered more vivid by remorse for his passing weakness the remembrance of his late almost triumphant walk of the profound salutations and the reception he had met with together with the rallying of his cousin had contributed not a little to renew his former spirit hardly risen he sent for griso something important thought the servant to whom the order was given for the man who bore this assumed name was no less a personage than the head of the bravos to whom the boldest and most dangerous enterprises were confided, who was the most trusted by his master and was devoted to him, at all risks, by gratitude and interest, guilty of murder, he had sought the protection of Don Rodrigo to escape from the pursuit of justice, and he, by taking him into his service, had sheltered him from the reach of persecution. Here, by engaging in every crime that was required of him, he was secured from the punishment of the first fault. To Don Rodrigo the acquisition had been of no small importance, for this Griso, besides being undoubtedly the most courageous of the household, was also a specimen of what his master had been able to attempt with impunity against the laws, so that Don Rodrigo's power was aggrandized both in reality and in common opinion griso said don rodrigo in this emergency it will be seen what you are worth before to-morrow lucia must be in this place it shall never be said that griso shrank from the command of his noble protector take as many men as you want dispose and order them as you think best only let the thing succeed well but above all be sure do her no harm signor a little fright that she may not make too much noise one cannot do less fear i see is inevitable but don't you touch a hair of her head and above all treat her with the greatest respect do you understand signor i could not pluck a flower from its stalk and bring it to your lordship without touching it a little But I will do no more than is necessary. Beware you do not. And how will you manage? I was thinking, Signor. it is fortunate that the house is at the end of the village. We shall want a place to conceal ourselves in, and at a little distance there's that uninhabited building in the middle of the fields, that house, but your lordship knows nothing of these things, a house that was burnt down a few days ago and there have been no funds to rebuild it so it is forsaken and is haunted by witches but it is not saturday and i don't care for them the villages are so superstitious they would enter it any night of the week for a treasure so we may safely dispose ourselves there without any fear of being disturbed in our plans very good and what then here griso went on to propose and don rodrigo to discuss till they had together concerted a way to bring the enterprise to an end without a trace of its authors remaining they even contrived means to turn all suspicions by making false indications upon another quarter to impose silence upon poor agnes to inspire renzo with such fear as would overbalance his grief effaced the thought of having recourse to the law and even the wish to complain and arranged all the other minor villainies necessary to the success of this principal one we will omit the account of these consultations however because as the reader will perceive they are not necessary to the comprehension of the story and it will only be tedious both to him and us to entertain ourselves for any length of time with the discussions of these two detestable villains it will suffice to say that as griso was on the point of leaving the room to go about the execution of his undertaking at once don rodrigo called him back and said listen if by any chance this rash clown should molest you to-night it would not be amiss if you were to give him something to remember on his shoulders by way of anticipation. By this means the command to keep quiet, which shall be intimated to him to-morrow, will more surely take effect. But don't go look for him, lest you should spoil what is of more importance. Do you understand me?' "'Leave it to me,' replied Griso, bowing with an obsequious and ostentatious air as he departed the morning was spent in reconnoitering the neighbourhood the feigned beggar who had intruded himself so pertinaciously into Agnes's humble cottage was no other than Griso, who had come to get an idea of the plan of the house by sight the pretended passengers were his vile followers who operating under his orders required a less minute acquaintance with the place their observations being made they withdrew from notice lest they should excite too much suspicion. When they returned to the palace, Griso made his report, arranged definitely the plan of the enterprise, assigned to each his different part, and gave his instructions. All this could not be transacted without the old servant's observation, who, with his eyes and ears constantly on the alert, discovered that they were plotting some great undertaking, By dint of watching and questioning, getting half a hint here and another half there, commenting in his own mind on ambiguous inferences and interpreting mysterious departures, he at length came to a pretty clear knowledge of all the designs of the evening, but when he was assured of them it was very near the time, and already a small detachment of bravos had left the place and set off to conceal themselves in the ruined building. The poor old man, although he well knew what a dangerous game he was playing, and feared, besides, that he was doing no efficient service, yet failed not to fulfill his engagement. He went out, under the pretense of taking the air, and proceeded in great haste to the convent, to give uh, Father Cristoforo the promised information. Shortly afterwards, a second party of bravos were sent out, one or two at a time, that they may not appear to be in one company. Griso made up the rear, and then nothing remained but a litter, which was to be brought to the place of rendezvous after dark. When they were all assembled there, Griso dispatched three of them to the inn in the village. One was to place himself at the door, to watch the movements on the street, and to give notice when all the inhabitants had retired to rest. The other two were to remain inside, gaming and drinking, as if enjoying themselves, but were also to be on the lookout. If anything was to be seen, Griso, with the body of the troop, waited in the ambuscade, till the time of action should arrive. The poor old man was still on his way, The three scouts had arrived at their post, and the sun was setting. When Renzo entered the cottage and said to the woman, "Tonio and Gervasi are outside. I am going with them to sup at the inn, and at the sound of the Ave Maria we will come to fetch you. Come, Lucia, courage. All depends upon a moment. Lucia sighed and replied, Oh, yes, courage with a tone that belied her words. When Renzo and his two companions reached the inn, they found the bravo already there on the watch, leaning with his back against one of the jams of the doorway so as to occupy half its width, his arms folded across his breast, and glancing with a prying look to the right and left, showing alternately the blacks and whites of his two griffin-like eyes, A flat cap of crimson velvet, put on sideways, covered half a lock of hair, which parted on a dark forehead, terminated in tresses, confined by a comb at the back of the head. He held in one hand a short cudgel. His weapons, properly speaking, were not visible, but one had only to look at his face, and even a child would have guessed that he had as many under his clothes as he could carry. When Renzo, the foremost of the three, approached him and seemed prepared to enter, the Bravo fixed his eyes upon him, without attempting to make way. But the youth, intent on avoiding any questions or disputes, as people generally are who have an intricate undertaking in hand, did not even stop to say, Make room! But, grazing the other doorpost, pushed side-foremost, through the opening left by this Scariotides. His companions were obliged to practice the same maneuver, if they wished to enter. When they got in, they saw the others whose voices they had heard outside, sitting at a table and playing at Mora. Both exclaiming at once, and alternately pouring out something to drink from a large flask placed between them, they fixed their eyes steadily on the newcomers, and one of them especially holding his right hand extended in the air with three enormous fingers just shot forth and from his mouth formed to utter the the word six which burst forth at the moment eyed renzo from head to foot and glanced first at his companion and then at the one at the door who replied with a nod of the head renzo suspicious and doubtful looked at his friends as if seeing in their countenances an interpretation of all these gestures but their countenances indicated nothing beyond a good appetite the landlord approached to receive his orders and renzo made him accompany him into an adjoining room and ordered some supper who are these strangers asked he